There was another woman that we walked with one day and she had been in three abusive marriages and built up so much bitterness and hatred from these relationships that she had been in. And she didn't know one word of Spanish. And she said, I want to have this experience and I just want to plead to Christ that he will help me heal and get rid of all this bitterness built up. And um, it was a very tender experience. And I was so happy because when we made it to the, to the last city, to Santiago, I saw her and I was able to visit with her for a few minutes and asked her if, if she had completed her goal, you know, if, how, how it went. And, and she was very teary and, and very emotional about it. And she said, it's the hardest thing I have ever done in my entire life. But she was done with all of the bitterness. She was done with all the negativity. She was done with all the judgment. She just let it go. And I was just so happy for her. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. And I can already tell that uh, in just the preamble, the before we turn the microphone on, that you are going to love this conversation that I have uh, with Gayla Marie. Now, you may not recognize that name. You may say, wait, Gayla Marie, she is the original uh, Utah made-up name when you just take words and put them together and and call them something and, and then it becomes a name. But Gayla Marie Rosenberg is my guest. Welcome into the Cultural Hall. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you are an author, a professor, and a few other things that I'm sure that we will learn about within our time today. Uh, have you ever listened to the Cultural Hall before? Do you know what you've gotten yourself into? <laughs> I have listened to a okay. few of your episodes. Yes, yeah, okay. so I, I, I think I have an idea, so <laughs> I'm she happy says, to be here. <laughs> she says, for people that can't see the video, she's got fingers crossed and a look of, you know, a little bit optimism uh, be- behind that. So, Gayla Marie, let me ask you this. Does your name come from um, a combination of something? Are you named after someone? Let's start there. My mother's name is Gayla, and I have a twin sister, and her name is Maylory, and she's named after my grandma named Mamie. So growing up, everyone called us Gay and May for short. Uh-huh. Um, she still goes by May quite frequently, but I don't go by Gay. I go by Gayla Marie, the full thing. And that obviously because <laughs> living in an elementary school life in a time when Gay, probably you were teased a little bit and, and just decided to leave it alone. It wasn't until we hit junior high when somebody said Gay actually has a different meaning. Mm. And, um, because before that it just meant happy. Mm-hmm. They meant happy and joyful. Yeah. And so I grew up thinking that that's what it meant. So, yeah. yeah. And, and to be fair and to the credit of the word, it still yeah. does mean that, but it, you know, it's taken on different things. So sure. Marie sure. is, is, is where you go by. And Rosenberg, uh, I would assume though, I didn't ask you that, that is your married last name. Yes. And it's actually a Peterson line. And so my husband's great, great, great grandfather was a gardener for a Swedish King. And the king decided to change his name to better fit his occupation and changed it from Peterson to Rosenberg, which means amount of roses. So the last four generations, it's Rosenberg. And you know, most people, pardon me, most people think that it's a Jewish name. He got his PhD at Cornell and, um, you know, it was very common for him to meet a lot of Rosenbergs who were Jewish. And Mm -hmm. so that's what we get asked most often. Um, but yeah, it's actually a Peterson line. Yeah, that's fascinating to me for a couple of reasons. One, I wonder if uh, outside of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if so many people know so much about their lineage and, and heritage as we do, you know, we sort of pride ourselves on genealogy, and I'm sure that there are those individuals that do know those things. But, you know, f- find any um, person over the age of, I mean, we'll say for you, anyone over the age of 35 years old and you ask them (laughs) about their last name, they are able to tell you that my grandparents this and their grandparents this and it comes from this and, you know, give you that whole, um, you know, history, genealogical history. And I just wonder if there's a a Catholic podcast that's going on right now where someone says, yeah, you might think Jewish, but it's actually from a pile of roses. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> Gayla Marie, I'm curious to know uh, a, a little bit of your history. You are a, a professor currently at Brigham Young University. I'm adjunct faculty. So I just teach part-time and I'm in the church history and doctrine department. I actually started uh, 35 years ago teaching part-time and I was in the family sciences department and taught in um, that department that my, my graduate work is in family studies and human development. And so I taught in the family sciences department for years. And then I went over to the, to religious education and taught a course for them called LDS marriage and family and also living prophets. But since then, I just focus on a core class called um, the eternal family class. And okay. it's one of the four core religion classes that students take now. And there's just so many of them. So they just have me focus on that class. So uh, for people who may not know, it's still a requisite at BYU that you have mm -hmm. almost like a, like um, in your undergraduate that you have certain religion courses that you have to take. And the one that you teach is in fact, one right. of them. Yes. And so one of them is um, about the restoration. One is about Christ and the everlasting covenant. The other is about doctrines of the Book of Mormon. And then the other core class is the eternal family class. And so that's the one that I teach. You know, and, and probably uh, one with the, the most interactive discussion, I would imagine, at BYU, certainly with the proclamation on the family and you know, with everything surrounding LGBTQ issues and and the LDS Church and everything with BYU and all that, I I though I don't know, I've never attended your class. I would imagine that there maybe could be some healthy discussion that occurs within the walls of your classroom. Yes, and we we do that on purpose. Is it allowable? Or I've heard of other classes, and we've visited with uh, you know various professors and adjunct professors. Is it open to questions? Is it uh, student led, or is there the curriculum and you just sort of present it and and hopefully it covers all of the things as far as like the family and in and, and some of those hotter button issues. This is definitely a discussion class, and so they have you know a whole host of readings, required mm -hmm. readings. Um, for each unit. And the classroom time is really designed to be more of discussion on personal application of the content. And so, yes, I like to spend a lot of time on discussion, their questions, personal application of everything that we're talking about. What I really appreciate about some of the things that you highlighted, um, you know, thinking about like my time before I got married and how when I got married, I was like, yeah, there's probably some things I should have thought about or considered or talked to you about or planned out as far as life goes. And here we are and, you know, we will make our best of it. But to really have those kind of um, those foundations and to have it be required, I think that that's a, a tremendous credit uh, to BYU. And I know there are other organizations that do stuff like that, but I think that that's pretty amazing. I, I have to wonder, just because I'm nosy, you've always done it part-time. Has there never been an inclination to dive all the way into it or you've got other stuff you like doing? I have, um, my husband has always been full-time in administrative assignments. And I've had a lot of family who have um, needed my attention as well. And so um, it has worked out perfect for me, you know, just the right amount to mm -hmm. my attention to some family members who needed my help as well as, as do something that I love. And so it's worked out great. Yeah, I think that's pretty admirable too, especially when you consider it seems like people make the choice where it's like, well, I have to be all column A or all column B. And you very, very distinctly had said, yeah, you know what? I This scratches an itch, presumably. Let me not put words in your mouth. But this is something that I love. And it's also something that I can still care for these other things that are also important to me. And you don't have to give up that part of you that really enjoys the teaching or the interaction with the students or a combination of those things or other things that drive you to do what you do. And I always have students who ask questions about that. You know, I want to have a career. I want to go into medicine. I want to contribute. I want to do things. And President Nelson um, has certainly supported and encouraged women to stand up and speak out and speak up and be a good example and develop your talents and abilities and contribute and use them for good. And, and so um, I think that's 
personally, I think that's what the Lord expects us to do. He expects us to be prayerful and thoughtful and go to him and say, what can I do to use my time, talents, and energy? Um, what is thy will for me? And um, to make decisions accordingly. And most women, I think, are probably like me. Seasons change all the time. Mm -hmm. What is right in one stage of your life? You know, you focus your time and energy on something specific. And then another season, your children are grown and out of the home and you focus, you know, put some of that time during the day on on something else. And so for every woman, that looks a little different. I, I, I have to imagine, though, and you mentioned that you've been doing um, this adjunct professorship for 35 years, which means you started when you were three, which is admirable uh, also. Um <laughs> But but the landscape within the church, like if we dial it back 35 years, I mean, there's that very uh, infamous talk, I, I believe, by President uh, Benson, who says, you know, a woman's place. I mean, this is paraphrased and, you know, insultingly so, but uh, essentially that women should be home and that the nurturing and those things. And and I'm and I don't expect you to comment that and I'm not asking you, but that was very much sort of the atmosphere at that time and lead to today, 2023 that that is very much not a thing that's stressed within the church. How have you seen that change in in the time that you've been, you know, teaching? That's an interesting question because um, when I was doing my master's thesis, it was on how adolescents perceived their mothers, whether hmm. they were working part-time, full-time, or full-time homemakers. And one of the skills that I looked at was how adolescents perceived their mothers as kind, temperate, patient, loving, forgiving, you know, a whole list of different virtues. And there wasn't a statistical difference amongst any of those different categories, except for the, the category of loving. And they perceived full-time um, working mothers as more loving than part-time working mothers and part-time working mothers as more loving than full-time homemakers. Hmm. And I thought that's goofy. And so I went back and, and looked at their answers and the responses and um, their, their answers implied the following. They'd say things like, I know my mom loves me because she buys me this and this and this. Mm -hmm. I know my mom loves me because she sacrifices so I can take dance lessons. I know my mom loves me because um, she saves up, works so hard and saves up all this money for us to go on family vacations. I mean, what they were saying was um, the tangible things that they were receiving. And that was the definition that they were putting on love. Hmm. But when we looked at longitudinal studies with the same kinds of situations and attitudes, what they found is those who defined love as receiving temporal or tangible goods kept craving more and more and more thinking at some point they would find that fulfillment and that attention and that incredible care and nurturing that they desired. And so definitions matter, how we perceive love, how we perceive attention, time, caring, nurturing, um, all of that matters. And, and so it was a big issue when I first started teaching part-time women working outside the home was a big issue. Now it's not an issue at all. It's, yeah. it, I mean, that is not the center of, I mean, that's not the focus of the talks we hear. That's not the focus of, I mean, we talk about it um, because we talk about roles in the home and roles of mothers and fathers and um, that the most important work that we do will be within the walls of our home and be partners in progress as husbands and wives, as rearing our children in truth and righteousness. But that goes for father and mother, right? Yeah. And so um, the most important line in the proclamation regarding roles is that we help one another as equal partners. Yeah. And so the role of nurturing is critical. You know, nurturing means to cherish, to feed, to, um, to teach, to care for. But a lot of that happens with fatherhood too. You know, fathers also nurture. 
Um, women also provide a lot of presiding in um, teaching the gospel to their children, mm -hmm. teaching them about faith. That doesn't take away the father's role of someone's got to lead out. If no one takes a lead, nothing gets done. So someone has to lead out on all these things that happen in the home. Anyway, it, it has been a very interesting um, journey to see what is emphasized in the church, what is emphasized in the talks by your living prophets, what is emphasized um, as far as, you know, roles of what we do with men and women. Um, but overall of, of the work that we do in marriage and in the home and in our perception of, of eternal families. And it has been a really a beautiful blessing for me to teach this course. Because one of the things that I've noticed is, you know, a lot of students can go in and out of any university, in and out of BYU, but have they taken a course on dating and courtship? Do they know anything about intimacy? Do they know anything about communication skills? Right. I mean, one of the common comments I get, you know, feedback I get at the very end is thank you so much for just teaching us how to listen better and how to <laughs> respond, how to express our desires and how to resolve conflict. I mean, just communication skills. And thank you for teaching me some of these just, you know, basic habits of, you know, how to build a relationship and how to, how to nurture my spouse. And so it, it's been a really awesome opportunity and it's a great course for, for, and everybody. Yeah. You know, I really appreciate you speaking to that. I don't think that you probably anticipated that we would dive into any of this you in know. This conversation, <laughs> but, uh, you know, knowing not only what your thesis was as you were studying, but also the longevity and time within the church and, and being so close with it and being able to have a firsthand experience. I think it's worth highlighting because we get so myopic about, the church is, is slow to move or to change or something like that. And I, you know, whether the church changes or not is not a thing that we're going to talk about. But it is interesting to note that from, from the time of the mid to late 80s to where we are today, the, the, um, the language that is used around uh, men and women that has, that has developed uh, even within the temple and some of the things that, that we see there, there are changes and we are um, growing and adapting to that equal partners who combined make their way towards, you know, being a family towards, you know, the celestial kingdom, whatever we want to say that end goal is. We, there are changes that are occurring, the, and and it's great to be able to see that within the time of of your life and of your profession. Um, I wish to take a break. Let's take a quick break. When we come back in the second block, uh, you've written a book, and I want to talk to you about the subject matter of that, why you wrote a book, and what it is all about. We'll do that coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. BestDJinUtah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country, uh, but especially here in Utah. Been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the Cultural Hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the Cultural Hall. Because maybe, just maybe, I give a cultural hall discount. Uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to Best DJ in Utah. Dot com. Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. Our lifetime service guarantee has become the most trusted warranty in the industry. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop computer and they start at only $29 a month. Check us out at PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. It is a great way that you can, no matter what time of day or night it is, reach out and say, you know what, I really like that Gayla Murray character. She was great. You should have have her on again. 
Uh, you can also suggest other guests. Maybe you've read a book recently and you know that that author is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Send it. Contact at theculturalhall.com. It's especially great if you know that individual and let us know that you have contacted them as well. That makes it a little easier on the introduction. But if you're just hoping on a wing and a prayer that we'll talk to someone, we can do that too. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. Now, Gail Murray, you, uh, we were sort of talking a little bit uh within the kind of break that we took, but I have long thought, and tell me what you think about this, because you get the opportunity to have this class and these discussions with BYU students, but all members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are not BYU students. Many attend other various colleges, and we find ourselves getting married or in, um, you know, intimate relationships, not physically intimate, but that could be that too, where these discussions haven't occurred. And it seems like other faiths when you say, hey, we're getting married, it seems like there's at least from what I gather from television shows that there are, you know, the classes that you take with the pastor before you get married, these premarital sort of counseling or classes. Why do you think that nothing like that, or am I ignorant and there is something like that, exists in the LDS church in in, in broad form? Well, I think there are a lot of resources and, and classes and workshops at BYU that help the students. Um, whether that's for newlyweds and kind of premarital workshops, they have quite a few of those, um, you know, several courses on dating, uh, marriage enrichment, and so forth over in the family, uh, family sciences department. But I think that um, we talk about marriage, we talk about family in the church a lot, but we don't delve into, you know, more doctrine regarding exaltation that we do as, as much as we do in this course. Mm. And I think that's what um, is probably most informative about this particular class. As President Nelson said, you know, salvation is an individual matter. Exaltation is a family matter, a marriage matter, a family matter. And so it's the understanding of why, um, you know, that we look at, we have, we believe that we have a heavenly mother as well, a heavenly father, a heavenly mother. We have heavenly parents that's stated in the family proclamation and that we follow after that same pattern. We imitate that same pattern um, to become like them. Mm -hmm. And so if exaltation is learning how to become like God to not only live with God again, but to live like God, then that also implies that we must follow the same pattern that he has set before us. And so that's where a lot of our teachings and our doctrine come in about marriage and family patterns. And we go into a lot of depth on that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I really, I really like that. I mean, it's simple. It's a thing I've heard before, You're, it, 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 but every time I hear it, something certainly unique about the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but also something very beautiful and, um, what, aspirational, I guess? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, can inspire us to to live to our privilege, to our expectation. I, I, I sort of like that when you we consider not only being sons and daughters of God, but that we can be like God, that, that there's something in that transition that feels different, and I like that. Right. That's what our temple covenants are all about. Yeah. 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 So. Let's hard shift, shall we? You've hey, written yeah. you, you've written a book called Our Savior from Self-Doubt. That doesn't sound like it's uh so much around like marriage and family, but maybe it is. Tell me why did you decide to write said book? In the last, oh, I'd say five, ten years. I think all of us, you know, especially teaching teaching students. I have noticed this dramatic increase in doubt, doubt about God, doubt about themselves. There have been several books written about doubt about God and um, the decline in spirituality, which is definitely a topic that needs to be addressed. And, and that's kind of, you know, a, a whole nother topic. And so I wanted to address this doubt about themselves and how, the Savior helps us when we don't feel good about ourselves. We often talk about how the Savior helps us to overcome our imperfections, 
but we don't talk about how he helps us overcome our imperfect understanding of ourselves Mm. and how the savior helps us overcome our feelings of self-doubt. And so I specifically wanted to address just that. And, um, and I framed this book around an experience that my husband and I have had over the last few summers. And that is taking a couple different study abroad groups from BYU over to Spain, Northern Spain, to walk the Camino de Santiago. Mm. About that? Sure. 500 mile uh, pilgrimage that people take. And it's essentially something about James, right? Okay. Yes. The Apostle James. Yeah. So Three great Christian pilgrimages in the world that people usually hear about, you know, to Jerusalem, to Rome, and then this pilgrimage to um, Santiago de Compostela. It's a city on the coast. Um, This is probably the most built up pilgrimage with all the infrastructure in place where it's walked today. In 2019, over 340,000 people from 187 countries walked it. And so it's very popular. It has, you know, all the hotels and hostels and (laughs) and people wear a Camino. They have all these Camino signs, which are little yellow arrows that point the walking path everywhere you go, whether it's on trees or rocks or bricks or, or stands or whatever it may be. So they have all these signs pointing where you go. People have usually a staff. They carry a scallop shell. They have a little passport and they have this passport signed at all the little churches and and bars or little restaurants that they go through to get drinks and water and go to the bathroom. I mean, they all have these stamps and they stamp your passport. And then when they end their pilgrimage at the end in Santiago, there's a, a big office for the pilgrimage and they give you a certificate for having completed this journey. Hmm. But the journey is centered around... Um, and it was, it was initially built, gosh, it started in the ninth, ninth century and it really took off under the reign of Ferdinand and Isabel in the 12th century when they walked it as well. And they wanted to honor the apostle James for bringing Christianity to the Iberian Peninsula, to Europe and specifically to Spain. And so people would walk this pilgrimage Um, to seek Christ's help and healing, or they would walk this pilgrimage to thank Christ for how he has helped them in their life. And so today people often, they do the same thing. They go to seek help and healing, or they go to thank him. And last summer we had, oh gosh, some fascinating people who walked it one couple was blind and I saw this, this man who was walking with a blind stick up ahead and, and I, I couldn't believe it because people often walk this pilgrimage. Um, one, because Spain is so beautiful and they just love the beautiful scenery as they walk through all these little villages and, or they, um, they just want a fun experience, you know, hiking and, but mainly it's a, a religious pilgrimage. They have a specific goal in mind. And I thought, I want to catch up to this couple and I want to find out while, why they are walking. Mm. And I thought, surely his wife must be sight, you know, must be his eyes. Mm-hmm. And when I caught up to him, we, my husband and I spent about three hours walking with him that day. And she was legally blind as well. Oh. And it was their second year walking and doing this pilgrimage. And it was just unbelievable because some of the routes are really difficult and, you know, straight up, straight down, super rocky through rivers. I mean, it's, it's not like all of it is just this flat road. And, um, and after we had walked for quite a while, they're from Louisiana, David and Lisa. And I said, Lisa, what motivated you to, to walk? the Camino de Santiago. And she said, you know, we wanted another experience with God Hmm. because God is in everything. He's everywhere. It's just that sometimes you can't see it. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's an interesting choice of words. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, You obviously can't see physically 
but I'm pretty sure you have some great spiritual eyes. And they were walking the whole, the whole Camino route with audio guides. Hmm. And it was, it was, it was unbelievable. But I mean, there was another woman that we walked with one day and she had been in three abusive marriages and built up so much bitterness and hatred from these relationships that she had been in. And she didn't know one word of Spanish. And she said, I want to have this experience and I just want to plead to Christ that he will help me heal and get rid of all this bitterness built up. And, um, it was a very tender experience. And I was so happy because when we made it to the, to the last city, to Santiago, I saw her and I was able to visit with her for a few minutes and asked her if, if she had completed her goal, you know, if how, how it went and, and she was very teary and, and very emotional about it. And she said, it's the hardest thing I have ever done in my entire life, <laughs> but she was done with all of the bitterness she was done with all the negativity she was done with all the judgment she just let it go and i was just so happy for her. um it's kind of like you know the marie kondo show how she teaches people how to declutter their homes and sure. only keep those things that bring them joy mm-hmm. that is one of the things that that i experienced walking the camino it, it feels like it just kind of declutters your mind and your heart of all the unnecessary clutter that gets caught in there, what we're preoccupied with, all the distraction, all the noise that that is distracting to us. And it provides, you know, a time to just declutter your mind and only keep those things that bring you joy to only entertain those things and uh, let those things into our mind and captivate our time and attention that really bring us joy. And, and that's, that's one of the great things about that particular experience, but that's a very long explanation for (laughs) what I was, what I was just going to interject. How I have framed this book. I have framed each chapter around this Camino experience and um, how Christ walks with us, how he helps us, how different ways he helps us to overcome self-doubt. But, um, you know, at the heart of it is that the atonement really focuses on this process of becoming at one with Christ, mm-hmm. which is in direct contrast to the word alone, Alone and atone both have the same root word one, but alone means all, you're all by yourself, yeah. all dependent on yourself. But atone means that we're connected, bound together, we're unified with Christ. And that's the good news of the atonement is that we are not alone. And the good news of the atonement that we're not alone applies to this specific topic of self-doubt and that's the reason why i have written this book so does it does it connect let me ask you kind of just this is just fundamentals of how the book works is it is it more of like scripture based and parable and then we sort of extrapolate our own you know this is how this could apply to what i'm doing or is it more like the self-doubt that you come from, first of all, there's imposter syndrome and let's dive into what that could look like and how you could find yourself sort of out of that. And then maybe there's a spiritual or a scriptural application that, that sort of adjoins that. How do just formatically, how does the book run? And so what I have done is in the introduction, I have introduced um, different reasons why we, why we experience self-doubt. So impatience, fear of not being enough, comparing our, our weaknesses to someone else's strengths. Um, we feel like we are unworthy of God's help or we're just critical of ourselves. So I kind of look at different sources of self-doubt. And then the work from positive psychologists on how to change unproductive thoughts to more productive thinking. Mm. So how to change our focus, um, you know, to focus on, you know, what we have instead of what we don't have. Focus on what we can do instead of what we can't do. Focus on enhancing strengths instead of comparing our abilities. I mean, so an element of each 
in each chapter is trying to understand how we can change our focus and how we can integrate all of this work of positive psychology that is incredibly popular right now. Mm -hmm. So that is one dimension of it. And then the other dimension is how the savior helps us. So we can change unproductive thoughts and cut out all that negative mental chatter. We can change our, our unproductive thoughts to more productive and helpful, positive thinking the most when we have divine assistance from the Savior, most powerfully when we have assistance from the Savior. And so that's the other dimension of each chapter. And so how I've organized this book is I've looked at um, different ways that the Savior helps us. For example, in chapter one, recognizing his patience recognizing God's patience with us, uh, focusing on who we are already instead of who we are not yet, hmm. how God blessed us already instead of who we are not yet. And so I bring up several stories about patience and the creation process, my husband and I in Spain and him, you know, we, we, he was directing a study abroad group in Spain a month after we got married and, and, um, and one day I was going everywhere with him and I looked at him. I said, you know, John, sometimes I feel like you love Spain more than me. <laughs> well, I've known Spain longer. <laughs> <laughs> but see, we got married when we were older. He'd been going to Spain for, you know, years, years and years. And, and they said, can we just enjoy the process of being together and becoming and not expect ourselves to be perfect yet? and not be perfect already and enjoy this process of growing together. And so I, I bring up a lot of stories like that. Chapter two, but the heart of that is recognizing the Savior's patience, God's sure. patience. Um, Alma, you know, when he was giving his son Shiblon a, a blessing and he said, I have had great joy in thee already because of thy diligence and thy patience. Well, I think God finds great joy in us already too. Yeah. And we don't recognize that he is incredibly impatient, uh, incredibly patient, not impatient, yeah. incredibly patient with us. The second chapter focuses on charity, you know, cutting out why we are so negative and critical of ourselves and focusing on how he sees us instead of how we see ourselves. And so I look at um, the mirror analogy in 1 Corinthians 13 and how Paul describes all these different characteristics of charity. And then he says, and then we see through a glass darkly. And then he implies, you know, that once we see ourselves as Christ sees us, then we'll be able to know ourselves as we are known by him in whose image we are made. Mm. But it's so fascinating because when he's, he's implying Christ has incredible charity for us. So do we recognize his charity? Mm -hmm. But that once we understand how he sees us, we be able to see ourselves differently. And so that chapter is focused on really understanding Christ's charity for us. The third chapter focuses on his power. When we have this fear of not being enough, which we all experience sure. to some degree of, you know, how can we change and turn our focus to his power to make our weak things strong? When I was uh, on, in my mission in Guatemala, my mission president was a formal colonel in the Marines. Oh yeah. So super, and, super, a super lackadaisical, no structure is how I envisioned uh, that. Oh yeah. Really low key. Kind, <laughs> <laughs> loving. <laughs> so I'd been in, in Guatemala for three months and he, he said, he sent me a message that he wanted me in charge. He wanted me to be in charge of 13 words and branches to train in welfare services and also be in charge of training 13 words and branches in welfare services. And my, my zone leader called up and said, she can't do it. She can't speak Spanish. And I said, yeah, tell him I can't do it. I don't have this ability. And, and he said, elder, that's my decision and hangs up. So I <laughs> called my district leader. I said, call up president Elliot, tell him I can't do this. So he calls up and says, yeah, sister Green's Spanish is pretty bad. You better not have her do this. Elder, that's my decision and hangs up. And the day of transfers, I went up to him and I said, President Elliot, I would never doubt your inspiration, but are you sure you weren't thinking of somebody else? And he said, Sister Green, that was my maiden name, said, Sister Green, 
I had the same doubts about you as you have about you. And I went back to the Lord and he got mad at me for having doubts about you. Hmm. And then he turned around and walked off. <laughs> that was it. There was no, don't worry, you'll be fine. Oh, you can do it. Everything will be okay. None of that. Yeah. And that, but what he said was the very best thing he could have said to me. Because as he walked off, I thought, the Lord knows who I am. Wow. If the Lord knows who I am, I guess it doesn't matter if I think I can or if I think I can't. What matters is, am I willing? And I guess if I'm willing, the Lord is going to help me. And um, that was a super powerful moment for me because it, it made me realize that it didn't matter how much ability I had. Mm-hmm. What mattered was, will, was I willing to turn my heart to him and give my best and rely on his power to strengthen me? And, and he did. That's what chapter three is about. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if it's your intention to go through each of the chapters. I think maybe I'm going to push pause on that. But what what I want to say about uh, what you just said that sort of strikes me is that I, I think oftentimes, especially within callings, but uh, certainly with specific assignments, I think that we sort of, I think that we can look at it and be like, you know, the Lord qualifies whom he calls and we can see that within the realm of specific something, right? I'm I'm going to be a mom, and if I'm going to be a mom, and then God saw that to be what I'm going to do, I can do that. But then in other parts of our life, we find ourselves in the same situation, being like, I can't do it. Who am I to think that I could do this? Whatever that would be. And in, in what I'm hearing you say is that it's like, you already are whom you are and and, and can be you know, can, can, can be all the things, you know, because of, because of whom you are, because you are a child of God, because, you know, um, the savior is there to strengthen you spiritually and otherwise, like you, you can become just because. Yes. One of my, one of my favorite quotes about that is from elder Maxwell, when he says, um, He said, the Lord, I'm paraphrasing here off the top of my head, but he said, the Lord doesn't care so much about our ability and our capability, but he cares about our availability. Mm. And then if we demonstrate our dependability, he will increase our capability. Sounds like a tongue twister, but it's super powerful because what he cares about is, are we available to be still and listen and hear him? Um, and will we be dependable in in heeding those impressions that we re- have received and act on them? And if so, he will increase our capability. And for me personally, I have found that particular quote and concept to be really powerful. What he cares about is our availability first and foremost. Will we make the time? Will we spend the time? Will we make ourselves be available? to turn to him and seek his guidance and inspiration. And he won't give us 10 or 20 things to do all at once. Don't, I mean, don't you think that sometimes people don't say, you know, heavenly father, what can I do better? Or how can you help me? Because we're afraid that he's going to give us 10 or 20 things to do. And we are already overwhelmed with everything that we're not doing well anyway. Sure. So we don't want to have more that's going to make us feel worse or guilty about ourselves. But I think all of us can go back and say, you know, at this moment when I felt the spirit, I didn't receive 20 things that I should be doing better or differently. It's usually one or two, and it's usually one or two of the most important things at that moment that we should be working on or focusing on or doing. Um, And I think that's, at least that's how I have noticed that the spirit works with me. And it, and it, in a loving and motivating way. Gayla Marie, focus on this. Focus. I, I, I think there's also too something powerful in, in, and the older that I get, you know, trying to hone that some of that is ADD related in that I feel like there's always a million things that I need to be doing and focusing on or whatever. But when I can go to the Lord and say, help me with this particular thing, this is the thing that I'm able to focus on right now. Can you help me in this particular thing? Oftentimes, you know, we don't get to dictate what God does, but 
you know, when we're asking around a specific thing, sometimes it's, hey, that's not the thing. How about this other thing? And we can receive guidance and focus that way. But but I've found, you know, if I can be specific, if I can be available to the Lord's guidance in that particular thing, that, that I can have that particular guidance as opposed to like what you said and what so many of us feel, which is help me. And we're like, oh, please, please make sure that this is going to be the help that I need and not the million things that I don't have time to do because I'm sure they're great, but also I really need this thing to be the focus. Can we get here? Um, yes. I love that. Let me, um, because our time wanes short, I want to uh, I want to give you this compliment in that in a day and an age where so many people, um, you know, we talk a lot about social media creating self-doubt and certainly about uh, young men and young women um, kind of suffering in this in this part of self-doubt, but that it applies to all. What I love is that um, that the book is accessible to what feels like, like not a young child, but I feel like, you know, 13 plus is able to get this book and be able to glean something from it that can help them really be able to understand, you know, where, where doubt comes from and how our savior can help us through that. And so I, you know, I feel that is a very deep compliment to you in the way that you have structured this and the way that you have addressed it and the way that you share it that, you know, if people are wondering, hey, is this for me? The answer is yes. Thank you for bringing that up because on on purpose, I didn't want this to be a book just for women. Um, I I had initially I had BYU students in mind. I had young adults in mind. Um, some teens can certainly pick it up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I some of the the greatest compliments I've received on it from it are from men. On the cover, there's a photo of my of my husband walking. He's walking ahead of me, and I stopped to take a photo. <laughs> and it was a really foggy path, and so it's actually not filtered. It's it's the same it's the same photo that that I took of him while we were walking. And um, they specifically put that on the cover because they didn't want it to look like just a book for women. Mm-hmm. Because the book for for everyone. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We'll come back in the third block and ask those of you. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block, let us get right to the questions. The first question is, Gayla Marie, do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? Right now, I'm the Relief Society president in our ward. How, how far in are we? Oh, about two and a half years. Okay, so halfway, you've started to got your uh, Relief Society legs underneath you. You know what you're doing. You know how to get stuff done. This is the time you sprint. You know that. (laughs) It has been really a joy. Um, I love the people that I work with, and the sisters in our ward are just wonderful, beautiful saints, and I've learned so much from them, and it's a it's been a wonderful opportunity to feel the Savior's love for them. And, um, yeah. Well, and talk about the application of self-doubt. I'm sure that when you get that calling, like any calling that anyone ever gets, where we're like, wait, what? You're talking to somebody else, right? Because, I don't know. This? Is this what you wanted? (laughs) Are you sure? Can we check that again? So, um I, I appreciate that, and I'm sure that people are able to learn that among very many other subjects from you because of your background, because of your studies, because of who you are and what God is using you for. Uh, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? I have to say that gospel doctrine teacher is my favorite. I know people would 
often shudder about that. But I, every time I've had that calling, I learned so much about, about the gospel. And I study like crazy to learn as much as I can. And, and for that reason, I, I really love that calling. Uh, is there a particular subject with gospel doctrine? Like, are you a Book of Mormon gospel doctrine, a Doctrine and Covenants gospel doctrine? Is there one that you like more than the other? I I really love the New Testament, the life of Christ, and I really love church history. And um, you know, all of them are great. Those are probably my favorites. Yeah. If I had to pick, yeah. I love making people pick favorites because it, it, in some circumstances, it's like, I can't pick a favorite. And everyone knows that you have a favorite, right? It's just like children. We have a favorite child. We know. No, I'm teasing. Uh, the final question that we ask everyone, um, we ask you to interpret it however you would like. But the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Mm. That is a great question. I would probably have to say... Um, learning about relationships and connections and um, how how to increase my how to nurture my relationship with God, how to nurture my relationship with family, with others, and with myself. You know, as Elder Uchtdorf says, there, there are four key relationships, God, family, others, and self which is odd to think we have a relationship with ourselves, but we do, you know, sometimes we're critical and negative and everything else. Anyway, he explains that well, but I, I would have to say um, the, the opportunity to learn about connections and relationships and the opportunity to put that into practice within home um, to learn how to put all those gospel principles into practice in the home, in my marriage, how to put all the gospel principles into practice with um, war, a word family, um, and how to take those principles and first and foremost, how to increase my relationship and nurture my relationship with my Heavenly Father and Savior, how to recognize the Spirit. So I think... You know, I have family members who have disconnected themselves from God and from religion. And it's that disconnection of all of those four key relationships that um, has brought feelings of loneliness and despair. And sometimes we don't realize what we have until you see someone who disconnects themselves from those key relationships and you realize how our religion um, is centered and grounded in those covenant relationships that bind us to God and to one another. Beautifully said. Gayla Marie, uh, there's a link in the show notes. If people want to purchase your book, they can certainly do so. Available through Deseret Book, but there's a link there. You just click it. You're able to purchase that, get it sent to you. Uh, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we read.